Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Often in relationship, you'll source people to play out your stories over and over again until you start to recognize what your stories are. And so many people have a new job and they have the same shitty boss or they get into a new relationship with a new guy and all of a sudden he's hitting them just like the last one. If you have a pattern in your life that repeats consistently in any way, then you are the source of that pattern, whether you know it or not. Hi, I'm Mark Groves. I'm a human connection specialist and founder of Create the Love. At an early point in my life, I became obsessed with understanding relationships, the intricacies of how people connect. And through this exploration, I have created a life and a business dedicated to learning out loud and exploring how we interact with each other and the world. This podcast brings the world's top thought leaders, spiritual luminaries, physicians, scientists, researchers, best-selling authors, and health and wellness experts under one roof to discuss the good, the bad, the messy, and of course, the beautiful parts of the human experience. Welcome to the Mark Groves Podcast. I can't wait to dive in with you. What's up? Welcome back to another episode. I'm so excited to have Shannon Hath and Bo Nelson on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you. So Shannon is an author as well as a communication expert. And Bo, you're harder to describe because <laughs> you're an author. You basically anything creative, you're a master at. Your art, everything is just so beautiful. And we came into touch because you both authored the greatest titled book, Cinderella, you bitch, which <laughs> even saying it, I feel kind of zesty, you know, I feel good. Can we talk a little bit about first where that title came from? And then let's explore the story of this trap. You know, Shannon and I have been friends for 23-ish years, something like that. And we've kind of gone through life's ups and downs together and been through divorces, relationship breakups, the whole thing. You know, we rely on each other you know, as friends do for relationship advice and just sounding boards and, and also real talk, which is what the, the book has a lot of real talk in it. And so we were talking about something one day and I said, you know, I'm just, I'm going to write a book one day and I'm going to call it Cinderella, you fucking bitch, you almost ruined my life. And she laughed and then we talked about it a little bit more and then we kind of put it away and then it came up again and then we put it away. And then during the pandemic, both of us were sort of you know, at a standstill with work, had a lot more time on our hands. 
and we're going through relationship issues at the same time. I happened to be involved with somebody who had a pretty big Cinderella complex, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> and so it was on my mind a lot. And, and Shannon said, like, I think we should write this book. And I was like, okay, why not? Let's do it. I think I, I've spent a lot of my life trying new things, but also being really hesitant to try new things. So I'm like, oh, I'm not an artist. But then I try it. Turns out I am. Then I was not an author. Tried it. Turns out I am. So, okay, why not has been a big mantra for me in my life. And it's just like, let's just try it and see what happens. No expectations. Let's just try it to try it and go from there. And I think for me, well, I've always loved writing. I'm in communications, as you said. I love storytelling. I've always wanted to write a book. It was just one of those things where, you know, you have to make a lot of time for it. And I just never had that space to do it. And then when the pandemic hit, it was really tough because I felt like all my storytelling channels, everything I knew myself to be was sort of just gone overnight. But then I found writing with Bo gave me this really great sense of purpose again and really helped me feel fulfilled and helped me even work through some of my own relationship, I think, like questions and challenges and past beliefs. And it ended up being a very therapeutic process, I think, for both of us. But we also, I think we were very conscious of like, yes, you know, we wanted people to read it. We wanted to be successful, but it wasn't really for us about the outcome. It was about the doing of it. It was about the doing of it. And, you know, the outcome didn't really matter. We obviously want to be good and we want people to love it, but it was really just about, this is something for us. This is something between us. This is something we've always done together organically, just being best friends. Now we get to share that with the world. And that was what felt so special about it. Yeah, it's so beautiful to be able to birth this, uh, I guess, child, so to speak. And I like the perspective, Bo. Yeah, why not? Like, let's, what a good way to just lean into all these things that have clearly expanded your life and expanded the way not only you perceive yourself, but also the art that you have created from those spaces for both of you has touched people's lives and businesses and all that kind of stuff with the work you do too, Shannon. The concept of, it's interesting you say like the, the interest wasn't the outcome. And in relational work, there's this saying that the victory is in the process, not the outcome. And I think that very much is so true. And it's who you become along the way. It's what you realize. And then what's so beautiful is someone else is sort of ushered through a similar journey by reading the story and the experience. So first off, why is Cinderella a bitch? That's, <laughs> let's, let's get right to the, to the meat of it. Well, first of all, Cinderella is not real. And neither is any of the fairy tale bullshit that surrounds her. So we felt okay calling her a bitch because she's not actually a real person. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You know, this. I think it's like the narrative and the story is what's such a bitch in our minds. Like that fairy tale trope that's not just in Cinderella; it's in all of the Disney stories. Well, and not just Disney, just but also everywhere well, else. Right, <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> so yeah, what is it in the fairy tale trap? Like you said that you were close to someone who was living sort of that Cinderella story, but obviously it's had an impact on your own lives. Here's the thing. We're all living that story in some way or another. Well, the first things that we hear growing up are fairy tales. And then they're around us at all times. Any music you listen to, any movie you watch, like they're all fantasy. And even our parents' relationships or how we think that relationships should be, the construct of marriage that's existed in our society for as long as it has, the way that it has. For the past 200 or so years, marriage has been different than it was before. 
But we don't know that because we're not 200 and something years old. So what we know, we grow up and we think is normal. Whatever surrounds us becomes our normality, whether that's in a household of abuse or or neglect or a great place. All that stuff surrounds us and creates these beliefs inside of us. And that's what we become used to. And once you're used to something, you'll seek it out because it's comfortable. So we all have this idea that this fairy tale, like the someday my prince will come or I need to rescue some woman because she's not, you know, like there's so many deep levels to it because you start to think, oh, I need to rescue a woman. Well, why do you think that woman needs rescuing? So that automatically makes you think that she's less than and that you're more than, that you have something to offer her that needs you need to take care of her, that she's not capable of taking care of herself. Like there's so many things that drop down from these things that none of us actually consider. And so this book is really an opportunity to start considering what your beliefs are, where they come from, and if that's something you want to continue believing, is it serving you? And with the person that I was in a relationship with, a lovely, amazing man, and a really good person, but just really caught up in the story and really had a lot of expectations. And for me, that brought up stuff for me of not feeling like I was going to meet these expectations which for me is an old story. I find that often in relationship, you'll source people to play out your stories over and over again until you start to recognize what your stories are. So many people have a new job and they have the same shitty boss or they get into a new relationship with a new guy and all of a sudden he's hitting them just like the last one, you know, and or, you know, saying mean things or whatever it is. If you have a pattern in your life that repeats consistently in any way, then you are the source of that pattern, whether you know it or not. So if you choose to be responsible, responsibility in this context is like a much bigger thing. But if you choose to be responsible for everything that occurs in your life, then you actually have power over it. Now, you might not be able to explain exactly why everything happens in your life. Like, why did I get just get rear-ended? But the question is, how did I source this? How did I create this? Is a good question to ask yourself at all times, because sometimes there will be epiphanies that happen. You'll be like, oh, got it. And then you get to choose if that's what you want to continue with or not. I know the challenge people have when they're called to even explore something like being rear-ended is like, well, how did I even bring that in? And last summer I was digging up a dead juniper bush and I was just chilling. I was, I was just thinking, oh, here I am doing some gardening, but I was moving fast. And all of a sudden I got stung by two wasps right on my forehead and <laughs> I thought to myself, like, immediately, like, you're not present. Like, you weren't even present to the fact that there was nine wasps swim, you know, swimming, flying around my shovel. And it was this invitation to be more present, to be more still. And who knows what the purpose is of something that occurs in our lives. But I I really appreciate the invitation you're, you're saying, which is, if you at least look at it from that perspective, you're invited to give it purpose in your life. Like the other one is nothing in my life happens for any reason. And so I'm the victim of every circumstance as opposed to how is this teaching me, serving me, inviting me, expanding me? Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing that we talk about too, that's been really helpful even for me, which is like one of the things that both worked through when we were writing the book was about this idea of being responsible, like not taking responsibility, because that's different, but like choosing to be responsible and even asking about like, how am I being in this moment? Like taking that moment to think, 
okay, I'm having an argument with someone or I'm in a conflict. How am I being? Am I being open or am I being combative? Am I being loving or am I being closed off? And if you even just train yourself to constantly sort of switch into like, how am I being and being responsible for that? Then I think you can shift into a place where all of a sudden your communication changes, your presence around yourself changes. And it's just, a, I think, again, like it's just training yourself to constantly kind of do that little check-in. How am I being? Am I being present? And by choosing a way of being, you literally get to disrupt a pattern because usually we're all on autopilot, being however we normally are. And if you have a deliberate way of being and you choose that, then you're disrupting that pattern. And once you disrupt the pattern, that's how you can start creating evidence of new beliefs. Oh, I'm not an artist. Well, I'm going to be creative today and I'm going to allow this to happen and I'm going to just try something new. And sometimes things work out and sometimes they don't, but I'm going to choose it just to choose it, not without any expectation or any outcome. I'm going to choose to be this way because this is how I want to be right now. So I'm going to do that. And then once you see the results, like that shift, the energy of the universe seems to click into place and sometimes will just take you to the place that you never knew you were supposed to be. But then all of a sudden you have a new, new belief about yourself. Oh, like, actually, I am an artist. Oh, cool. Like, maybe I should try something else. And the possibilities just open for you. And, and you don't have to be afraid of so many things anymore because there's really nothing stopping you from doing anything you want. It's just choosing your way of being about how you go about doing those things. I like the language shift, taking responsibility, which for sure. Well, that's outside of you. Say. And taking as opposed to just being, entering, aligning, you know, as opposed to it's something that, as you said, outside that you have to grab as opposed to just step into, which completely changes our lives. Like even being able to recognize where in my life, in my relationships, do I hold on to fantasy? You know, I remember one of my friends was saying to me once when they were single, they were like, yeah, you know, when I meet my person, they'll just get me. Like, I'll just know. And first off, I'm like, you're a difficult person. So that's going to be hard. And the second part is like, what a thing to place, whether you have connection or not, that they just get you. Like, what happened to the mystery of understanding each other? You know, it was almost like, I know I'll find my person when they tolerate me, <laughs> you know, like on some level. And I just thought like, where did that narrative come from? And how damaging is a narrative like everything needs to also how susceptible it makes us to love bombing, like watching mm -hmm. Tinder swindler. I'm like, that's a Cinderella story. Watching jump on this plane with me, fly around the world. Oh, by the way, I'm super rich. Can I have some of your money? You know, like it's, <laughs> it's just nuts how many red flags we miss when we're in the story of, of Cinderella or the fairy tales. There's so many dangers in it and actually like literal dangers for people to, you know, throw themselves into a relationship. Oh, I'm going to, I just met this person two days ago. I'm going to throw myself on this trip to Mexico with them. Like maybe it could be great, but like, I don't think that's a safe place to do. Like at least tell your, tell everyone where you're going to be so they can find the body. I don't know. <laughs> well, God is like, isn't okay. Very few true romantic stories start that way, but lots of Dateline episodes do. Yes, you know, like that's absolutely. <laughs> just tell people where you can find the body. I mean, it's so sad, but it's true. It is true. Look, I like to get my greens on the go. I don't want to compromise on quality. I want to get organic. I want non-GMO. I want all the things. 
And my favorite product from Organifi will never cease to be the green juice. And now they have a green apple flavor, which kicks ass. I think I can say that. But it kicks ass. It's so good. And it's so easy. You just take a glass of water, take a scoop of green juice, or you take the travel packs. They're great to travel with. You open it up, you put it in the water, you mix it, and then bam, you've got a green juice without the mess, without all that stuff. And you're getting all the nutrients that all these superfoods that are in the green juice provide. So go check it out. Go to Organifi.com slash create the love and you save 20% at checkout. So that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash create the love. And they have tons of amazing products. So go check it out and go save 20%. And I found that people really want to hold on to this narrative really badly. I gave a a copy of the book to a a friend that I sometimes will work out with in the mornings, And he said to me the other day, he's like, you know, I read your book. I think you're really negative. And I was like, that's what you got from the book? That's... (laughs) So reality is negative. Why do you think that I'm negative? Which, by the way, when people call me that, it's very triggering for me for some reason. So I'm like trying to do some work around that. So I'm like mad about it. I'm like, what the fuck do you think I'm fucking negative? But um, I was like, well, what what exactly did you find negative? Well, he's like, well, I just think it's not very romantic. And I'm like, mm, well, would you rather have a real relationship or like something that's just based on the pile of shit that you read once? You know, I don't know. I, I think it's the real romance is getting to know somebody properly, getting to know them intimately, understanding them, shifting your own way of being to maybe connect with them better, not change yourself necessarily, but do the work on yourself, noticing when you're activated or triggered and asking yourself, well, what is this really about? Is this about this moment right now? Or is this something from the past? How can I soothe both of those things and learn something from this experience at the same time? These are the questions I want somebody to ask. But if you want to stay at that low level and just think that your prince is going to rescue you one day, I'm like, P.S., this guy's in the shittiest relationship I've ever heard of, complains about it all the time and refuses to leave. So I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) I think the other thing, too, that we've been trained to believe is through fairy tales and rom-coms and songs and all that is that we need to look to someone else for happiness. Like we won't be happy until we find that person. And we did a lot of research for the book. And we, you know, obviously read a lot, both in a lot of transformational work. But I remember reading The Mastery of Love by Don Miguel Ruiz, who's, you know, amazing, also wrote The Four Agreements. And he tells this story about this man who doesn't believe in love. So there's this man who doesn't believe in love. He goes around thinking like love doesn't exist. And then he meets this woman who also doesn't believe in love. And he's like, oh, this is great. We can be friends now. Finally, someone who gets me like this is fantastic. So they become really good friends. And eventually they fall in love, but like it works because they weren't looking to someone else for happiness because they didn't believe in this concept of love being equated to someone else making you happy. So they exist in their own personal ways of, you know, being, and they finally, you know, get to a spot where they're like been together for a long time, everything's going well, but the man catches this star and he gets this star and he thinks, oh, I'm going to give this star to the woman I love because it makes me happy. And now I get to make her happy with this star. And she takes the star and by accident, she breaks it. And then they can't be together anymore because he's trying to give her happiness. She wasn't able to hold it. And then all of a sudden their entire relationship falls apart because if you take happiness and put it in someone else's hands, like sooner or later, that person's going to break it, right? Like it's going to happen. And I think that we've been taught to believe that like, if I meet someone 
I'll finally be happy. And it's like, well, no, you have to be happy on your own. You can't put that star in someone else's hands. That's not fair. It's not something that people can hold. I don't think people generally get that, you know, till you lose it. That's the gift of of breakups is being able to explore the space of the things we give away to partnership. Like if your self-worth is really dependent on you being in a relationship, which is so common that someone's like, oh, well, if I'm not, you know, you got the aunt who's like, oh, are you dating anyone now? Are you still single? You know, like that. The shame around that? Right. Yeah. Right. And then it makes us want to have a different answer to that question to avoid the shame that is inferred, which also the question often is from this place of also because that person themselves placed their own worth in someone choosing them. They're trying to also project that on to this other person. Like you're just such a good person. I wish you'd find somebody. And I don't get me wrong. That can be a genuine phrase to say, you know, I really hope that you find partnership that matches you. And I think a lot of the time because of what society has done, which is really said, if you're single, there's something wrong with you. And if you're divorced, well, then there's something damaged about you. As opposed to you went out on this adventure, you got married, you related, and then the ending of that relationship not seen as a failure, but rather a success, which isn't that like, imagine if we framed relational endings as successes too, like to leave things. You know, there's even that idea to leave things. I had a guest on here once say, hey, Yoda is her name, which what a great name for That's her an statement. amazing name. <laughs> yeah, she's a chef. And she said she got the advice once to leave your relationship as you would leave a house to prepare it for the next person. And that's obviously incredibly hard to do <laughs> to say like, okay, we broke up. Um, I would really like to repair everything so that your next partner really likes you a lot. And, you know, like that's so Do you get your damage deposit back when you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, we wrote about that actually in the, in the book, in the chapter on breakups, this idea of like, people saying like, oh, you broke up. I'm so sorry. Like I'm divorced. It was time and time and time again, people saying to me, oh, your marriage is ending. I'm so sorry. And I was like, I understand that. I understand that compassion. And that's like the response that people think I want to hear because they just want me to know that they feel for me. But like the best ever response I got was from a friend of mine when I told her it was happening. She was like, congratulations. Like, good (laughs) for you. Like you're not happy and you're making a choice that's going to serve you better and serve your kids better. Good for you. Like that's a strong move. And that, and I was like, just even to hear that was like this flood of relief in me where I was just like, wow, like someone actually gets it. Like someone gets that this is a good thing for me. Not that this is a sad thing. Obviously it's emotional and that's not what anyone gets into marriage to achieve is to break up. But the fact that she could see that that was something that was good for me was such a beautiful way to frame it. And I wish more people, instead of doing that automatic response of like, oh, I'm so sorry, would say, wow, like tell me more about that. Instead of just this, I think there's just this constant automatic, like, oh, that's really sad. It's like, well, no, it's an invitation for growth. Like, this is how I'm moving forward with my life because I want to grow, you know, but no one takes the time to inquire about that. I think it's just an automatic sort of, 
yeah, it's how it's been framed. That's also part of our society and, and the fairy tale complex. It's just, oh, like if, if something doesn't work out, like, oh, you have to be so sad about it. Like, listen, I can't say that I've never done it, but like listening to some sad song and throwing myself on the bed and like really living into the drama of it all. hundred percent. I've definitely done that. Yeah. A hundred percent, 150 percent. Oh, <laughs> I have a playlist that's about <laughs> marinating in that. But I, I think there's actually something beautiful about experiencing the grief. I think the idea that saying congratulations about your breakup or your divorce is somehow negating the pain of that, which it is not. It's just saying like, way to go, like way to let go of something that the momentum of society and fairy tales and all your programming says stay at all costs. To go against any programming, I think like that's one of the most powerful things about relating is when you begin to ask questions, you start to see that everything you were taught or most of what you were taught about relationship is bullshit. And then you start to see like most of your life or a lot of your life you chose because you were taught that that was also what you were supposed to do and what a red pill a breakup can be. Definitely you need, sometimes you need something to shake you out of the, whether well, they say like a fish doesn't know it's in water until you take it out. And so when you're kind of gasping for air out of outside of your regular environment, I mean, it's super uncomfortable. But if you can learn to breathe in that a little bit, then you have a lot of power. So you don't have to go back to the, thing, the way things were. So much power when you begin to ask those questions and pause and be still for a moment, you know, much like the wasp sting can invite us to just ask questions. So where do you see like in, as you were writing the book and, exploring yourselves. But then once you're writing about the forest, you can sort of see what's going on, the narratives that are going on in other people's lives. What are some of the most common ways that you see this Cinderella story activating in people's lives or showing up? I think weddings and the wedding industry are a big indicator of that. People saying, oh, it's the most important day of your life. The amount of money people are willing to spend on these little parties, you know, that have 300 people there that probably don't give two fucks about you. Like, you know, like, listen, I am, I am, I am a wedding cynicist. So I'm going to sort of preface that. I think they're ridiculous and I hate going to them. So don't talk like I, I'm probably the worst. Might have some work to do around that. Well, here, I probably do. And here's, here's what it is. I grew up gay and Mormon. There was no option for me to ever be married. So I've rejected the idea completely. And, And gay marriage wasn't a thing for me growing up. Like it's just barely become legal. And at this point I've just been like, why would I want to do that? And also, and it's not so much the marriage uh, that I'm opposed to. It's more like the wedding that I'm opposed to. If I was, if I were to commit to somebody and wanted to have some sort of ceremony around that, it would be the two of us because that commitment is between the two of us. It doesn't need to be a group affair for me. Now, listen, whatever anyone else wants to choose is completely up to them. But our society puts a lot of weight behind marriage, wedding rings, diamonds, and there's a lot of money to be made. It's a billions and billions of dollars of industry. And that is one way that we see it. And then, you know, this post wedding depression that a lot of people experience, I won't say just women, but I think often it's women because the the women are the ones that are sold most of the time that it's the most important day of their life. It's not the most important day of the man's life because he's got a job and like stuff to do, but a woman, you don't have anything else. You just have to get married. Yeah. Like the ultimate achievement is getting a man. So like you hit your peak. Yeah. And then it's all downhill from there. You know, that's a big one. 
I mean, I was just thinking about how when I was growing up, my mom actually did not feed me a lot of fairy tales. I wasn't ever dressed up in like princess costumes. I remember when I was in junior high, I wanted to take home ec and she was like, nah, you need to take shop. So like, I can't sew a button, but like I can use a steel lathe. <laughs> but what happened though, even though she tried to sort of keep me outside, I think of these like societal norms and narratives, I still ended up feeling like, but I have to get married. I have to have kids. Like that's just what I'm expected to do. Not because that expectation was put on me necessarily by my family, but I think just society in general had these expectations of me. And I think partly that comes from obviously being a woman and being taught that like, oh, and even with friends saying like, hey, do you have a guy? Are you dating? You know, like all of that. I think it, it shows up in so many ways that you don't realize, even when you're being taught to not grow up that way, it still permeates you. And I wish now looking back that I had well, read this book or written this book like several years earlier to start to see that more clearly. Because once you step outside of it, once you go through divorce, once you start to see that there are other ways of being with someone and co-parenting, once you start to see other options that are out there, it's so freeing that I wish I'd had that freedom before. Because I actually now have a beautiful relationship with my ex I think we're modeling an incredible version of love that is outside of a tradition that I think still shows our boys, because we have two boys, how you can love someone and show up for someone, but not live within this like one option only way of being. That you're a failure if you're not that. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true about relationships. You know, I remember writing this post once that got a lot of discussion and I had said that, you know, obviously the ideal circumstances, not a hierarchy, but just like, let's just say, is two parents together who love each other and are raising their kids. But no higher or different or lower is two parents apart who love each other and are raising kids. And then there's parents who are together who hate each other or apart or hate each other. The together doesn't actually change the toxicity of those dynamics. And so it's so interesting that we've created this hierarchy of how we perceive it. And then what that then makes us do unconsciously is stay in these dynamics, which then teaches children to stay in these dynamics. Or even that on some level, when we're apart, or for whatever reason, the relationship ended, of course, there can be anger there and betrayal and all that stuff. But it's like, then we use the kids to get back at the other person or we weaponize them or we talk shit about our exes to the children. And that's not their fucking job. Their job is not to be your therapist. It's not to hold that space. It's actually our job as adults, assuming we are adults, to insulate them from that deep pain, recognizing the human experience that's going on and sharing some of that, just like the reality of it. But so much even of when parents fight, you don't actually see the repair, right? Which is the most important part for children to learn. You know, and I think on a greater level, which is likely due to all the stuff you guys are talking about and and wrote about, is that we really, even to live in in a Disney sort of or fairy tale relational world, we have to on some level still be adolescents, still be children, because we're not even living in a, you know, like you were saying, Bo, 
the guy who said you're negative because that book, it calls out these romantic ideals. And and so in some way he has to fall, you know, in, in relational work, they talk about this movement from the honeymoon phase to the, from romantic love to sort of companionate love. They call it the fall from grace. And in some way he has to fall from grace to reality. But like, to, why is it called the fall from grace? Like, wouldn't it, why, why, why yeah, would I be the term. stepping up into something even better? Why not even the, yeah, the rise, you know, it's a, uh, Alan Watts has that line where he says, why is it fall in love? Why not rise in love? Yeah. It's, I think it's, well, we talk about that too. It is like in the book, we talk about like spell casting and it's called spelling. Like you are casting spells with your words. Like when you say these things, it's like, when a marriage ends, all of a sudden now my children are in a quote unquote broken home. Like, why is it broken? Right. Why does it have right. to be called that? It's not broken. It's actually better. Yeah. It's fixed. Ah, oh, that language. Yeah. The fixed, fixed, repaired home. At what other point in time is it good to be crazy? Like, oh, he's fucking crazy, but I'm crazy in love. Mm. Yeah. 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 Good call. Good call. Like it's okay to lose your mind in love. Yeah. You can be institutionalized because you're in love and it's fine, but otherwise not so good. (laughs) It shows you how important all that language is, just how important all these perspectives are. I mean, think about like songs. I mean, when you really start to deconstruct all of these things and take a look at them for exactly what they are, you're like, oh, this shit's so stupid. Like, like when you listen to a romantic song, that's like, I mean, we talk about Leanne Rhyme songs. It's the only one that's coming to my head, but like, how can I live without you? I want to know. I'm like, you just keep breathing. Like you're fine. <laughs> you just keep living. The sun, the sun won't come out without you. Like, like, like you need to tone it down. And like, it's cool to have, like you were saying earlier, you need to experience your experience, whatever that is to like have the emotions, to be able to grieve that relationship. But there is a point where you have to say to yourself, okay, the Oscar is not coming to you. You need to tone it down. (laughs) The award for best dramatic actress is not yours. You are not Meryl (laughs) Streep. Like you need to just chill out. So, and then you got to turn that shit off. And honestly, like after my last breakup, like music is very triggering, I think for a lot of people. And every song reminds you of them. So I just stopped listening to music. I listened to podcasts instead for a little bit. And then as I was ready to come back to it, at least I was like, okay, now I can like listen to this and not feel like I'm driving myself mental. <laughs> Which we do. Well, we like to torture ourselves and we love that the comfort of, of feeling horrible. And I know that sounds crazy, but we all, we do. We all like to feel shitty because we think that then it meant so much more. Like we're, we're assigning it yeah, meaning yeah. because it hurts the most. Yeah, we're like ruminating and, and sitting in the pain, associating it with feeling like wanting to cling to the feelings of love. I think a good playlist would more be, um, you know, that song that's like, I don't fuck with you, like that song <laughs> or the other one. Have you heard that one? That's it's actually quite catchy, but at the A, B, C, D, E, F, U. Uh-huh. and your friends and your mom and your dad. But the only thing it celebrates is your dog. It's really actually quite funny. It's a great song. Listen, I got 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. <laughs> <You Right? know? laughs> we, we should start a playlist, Mark. Let's, let's put one on We should, on, we should. On the Cinderella Bitch playlist. I like that. We'll link it out for yes! this show, guys. It's going to be in the link. It's going to be empowering reclamation songs. So for the people listening, we know that we're 
almost all living in this Cinderella sort of experience or have been. And how do we begin or continue that journey of reclamation? What does that look like? And, and to free ourselves from it so that we can be in in rooted, grounded, real connection. Because you said before that we create these expectations or ideals that were programmed in us, that then we are constantly sort of living in relational disappointment and no one's meeting our standards, which ultimately leaves us in disappointment constantly. So yeah, how do we, what's the way out? Walk us out. Okay, so you got to recognize what your beliefs are. So to, in order to recognize your beliefs, like they say 90% of them are subconscious. So you have to start looking then first for your patterns, because your patterns will be indicative of your beliefs. Once you've determined what a pattern is, then you have to start disrupting that pattern and getting to the core of that belief. But a belief will not leave you unless you have evidence of a new belief. So you have to start putting yourself in uncomfortable situations because growth is always uncomfortable. Anything new, different is uncomfortable. And expose yourself to discomfort over and over and over again to train yourself into having evidence of a new belief. You don't think you're a good singer? All right, cool. You might not be, but maybe you actually are and you just don't believe it. So you sing again and again and again and again. You sing in public again and again, and you let people give you the compliments and they, you let them, those compliments wash over you, not just like go right through you or not listen to them. You actually take them in. You take, well, any feedback from anybody, whether it's a compliment or not, but you take feedback appropriately from people that you trust and you really let it in and you hold it in your heart and you acknowledge it. And you also acknowledge yourself for the work that you're doing. And that is how you start to become different. Well, I also think we talk in the book about this, what we call the alchemist formula. So most people follow this like do have be way of living, right? Like if I work out, so do, I will have a great body, have, and then I will be attractive, right? But we actually talk about this idea of be, do, have instead. So if you want to be in this like amazing relationship, to get there, you have to think about first about how you yourself want to be in that relationship. Do you want to be open? Do you want to be loving? Do you want to be communicating? And then you have to start doing those things just within your life. Like start being more open, start being more loving with your friends, start acting in the way that you want to have. And then what will happen is that you will start to have different relationships come into your circle of being because you've switched that formula around. So you vibrate, I think, at a different level. When you look at it as a be, do, have instead of a do, have, be. Yeah, your point of attraction changes and that allows things to start flowing into your life and, and experiences that you would not normally have because your way of being is different. An example that I talk about a little bit is I'm kind of an introvert. Most of the time I'm okay with that. But there are times where I will question myself. I'll be on set being like stowing away in my own little corner, like not talking to anybody, being on my phone. And then I'll just recognize, how am I being in this moment? And sometimes I do it just as a game. And actually, sometimes this is the best way to start changing things is to like do them when there's really not a risk. So take yourself to a bar if you're an introvert or whatever. Stick yourself in there and then make yourself talk to people. Go up to somebody and be like, hey, I'm so-and-so. Like, I really like your whatever. Or give them a compliment and see if you can maintain a conversation. And if you don't, don't be disappointed because there was no goal to this. Like you don't have to like, just do it to do it and see what happens. Just allow the possibilities to open up in front of you. When I do it, if I'm on set or something, every single time I've ever decided, okay, how am I being, I'm being closed off. I'm being, you know, quiet. 
why don't you just go be a little bit different? So I'm going to go be open. And I talk, I introduce myself to everybody. I smile. I say hello. People suddenly don't think I'm such an asshole or whatever they think when I'm just quiet, which I'm not, I'm not an asshole, but like if I, you know, some people think that quiet people are introverts, so they get a bad rap. So I just decide I'm not going to be an introvert in that moment. And every time somebody has like an amazing story to tell me or a book that I should read or a place that I need to go or a restaurant recommendation, or sometimes I even become friends with them or they have another job for me or whatever it is like, and just by opening those possibilities. And I didn't do it because I thought they were going to give me a job or a book or whatever. I just did it because yeah, I'm choosing it. I just did it. And those things are like choosing to choose is what the entire book really is about. I'm not choosing from a past belief. I'm not choosing from a past pattern. I'm choo- not choosing from autopilot. I'm choosing in this moment a choice that I'm making consciously and purposefully with no expectations. And I'm going to allow the universe to bring me its highest good from that. So recognizing and having awareness about the patterns that are existing, the sort of common regular outcomes we're getting in our relationships, really beginning to look for possibility, you know, like that being in possibility, not looking for possibility. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you even said, I think you, Mark, posted something that I loved. It was like, it's choice, not chance. Right. And I think that is like, it's such a great way. Cause I think that's what fairy tales tell you. Like if you're here at the right time or you like look a certain way, like then all things are going to fall into place. This guy is going to come and rescue you. Like you're putting all of that into chance. There's no choice there. I think it's, it's the idea of choice. And that starts with you. Like don't, it doesn't begin with anybody else but yourself. Yeah. Being all the things, right? Like if you want to, that shift from be, do, have. From do, have, be. To be. To be, do, have. That shift is everything because that shift is already be it, exist it. And then it from like, I think people get caught up in the language of vibration or the secret, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they go, oh, that's metaphysical and that's not. But just even on a very scientific, simple level, when you're making different choices and being different you are creating different possibilities in your life. Like you were saying- Well, you're not running around in circles anymore. You're breaking a pattern. You're not doing the same shit. Yeah. And so it might be called the secret. It might be called your vibration, but you literally are changing the way you're existing. And so you're going to bring different experiences into your life, different relational opportunities, especially if your behaviors, which they are all contributing to your relational outcomes. If you choose new behaviors, like- I remember reading this article called The Luck Factor, and in it, the guy studies unlucky people and compares them to lucky people, and then he teaches the unlucky people what lucky people do. And it's super fascinating because, of course, people who are unlucky are like, study me because I want to prove how bad the world is and how everything happens to me. And he teaches them what lucky people do, and they all started to become lucky. And what was really interesting about this article, which I believe is a book too, is that they explored... Like one guy said that he finds himself at parties, he would find himself always talking or drawn towards speaking to the most attractive woman in the room. And he made a rule that he would only speak to people in a certain colored shirt. He said it had him in these conversations that he'd never been in and it led to jobs. And there's another one where the guy just wanted to make conversation with people. He'd make conversation with strangers like you're inviting Bo. And the guy years later ends up selling his business to that person or, you know, like, and I think that way of orienting differently and just 
being in possibility, being in a different way. And all of a sudden you see like life brings you totally different outcomes and the fairy tale that can never really ever be achieved, you realize was never actually what you ultimately sought. It was actually to be grounded in your connections. Yeah. Well, that that's something that fairy tales don't even touch on. There's nothing about connection. It's like they meet, they get married, they live happily ever after. Okay. But like, like who does that? <laughs> You know, seems silly to me. I mean, some of some of the best conversations I've ever had are when I've pushed myself to go and sit at a bar alone, order a meal and a glass of wine, and just like start talking to people. I've I've yeah, met amazing, agreed. amazing people. I met this woman in New York. I went on a I mean, I'm I'm still pretty proud of myself because it was bold, but like on a Friday night in New York City, I was there by myself and I went to this cool restaurant in the Lower East Side and I sat down at the bar and I was just like minding my own business. Everyone in there was on a date. Everybody. And then it was just me by myself. <laughs> but You're then this other <laughs> I was on a date with myself. Yeah. And um and then this woman came down and sat next to me and she was also on her own. And everybody in the restaurant knew her. And I was like, wow, like, what is her deal? Like, she knew all the chefs, she knew all the staff. I was like, is she a chef? Is she an owner? Like, what's the story here? So we started chatting and we ended up having this great conversation. And they're sending out dishes now and we're getting like the kitchen is sending us special wines and all this stuff. Do you know what she did? She worked at Starbucks and Costco and she just loved restaurants. And she just went out to restaurants all the time because she loved them. And she spent all of her salary on going out to the best restaurants in New York by herself because she loved food that much. And everybody in New York knows who she is. Everyone knows her because she just like is this celebrated woman who just goes and sits at the top restaurants on her own for the love of it. And I was like, what an amazing person to meet. I like, love that. And, and I, we're, I love still, New York. we're still friends. Like we still, like when, when I can get back to New York now because I haven't been in a while, it's like we'll hook up and we'll have dinner. And it's, I just think that's such an incredible way, even as an example of like, if you just go out, like she's created this whole community for herself. And she just does it because she loves it. And I feel very grateful that I even got to meet her and know her as someone who even when I looked at her, I had these expectations or thoughts about what she might be. And it turns out, no, she's just in this restaurant because she just really loves restaurants. She works at Starbucks and Costco. <laughs> and you got to take those types of risks to live an expanded life, you know, to yeah. do things that are uncomfortable because relationships that have never existed require behaviors that have never existed. Yeah, that's huge. That's you got to write that one down and put that one up on the Instagram if you haven't already. <laughs> That's a perfect encapsulation of all of this. I once sat at a table in New York City, a communal dining table, and met a woman who had, I commented on her pin. She had a poodle pin and turned out she worked for the Westminster Dog Show. That's how she talked. The Westminster Dog Show. And she told me all about the dogs. It's not quite the same as Shannon's story, but it was entertaining. <laughs> Oh, in New York, I've met so many incredible people. I remember staying at a friend's house and I just, I, I remember waking up from a nap and there was this incredible woman just standing there and we got into this beautiful conversation. She was also staying at the friend's house too. And she was like, oh, where are you from? I'm like, oh, I'm from Vancouver. And she's like, oh, I was just there at TED. And I was like, oh, were you speaking or attending? She's like, both. And I was like, oh, cool. What were you talking about? And she puts her talk on my laptop and she's like, watch it. And her name's Gina Rosero. And she came out on the TED stage. She's transgender. And 
was a model and like came out on the TED stage. And that night I ended up having dinner with her and two of her friends. And this was probably like seven years ago. And I remember being like, can I just ask you anything just to understand the the world of being a transgender person? And they were like, yeah, I had the most amazing dinner and just so much fun and got to learn so much and relate in such a different way and have my mind blown and my heart opened and these are all New York stories. It I happens know, in other cities, I promise. Like- <laughs> but this stuff can happen anywhere if you allow it. Like right. it really can happen anywhere. There are people who are dying to tell their stories to other people and people who are dying to be acknowledged. And sometimes, right. you know, we, sometimes by you being open and, and honest and, and willing to talk to somebody, you're like literally saving their life that day. But just for them to feel seen and heard like can change their whole day. You don't know. And the repercussions of like how you change, change everyone else around you too. And even when you get into that minutia of like things that you're often doing, like if you're spending a lot of time with the same person and you're doing sort of the same things all the time and you decide to switch something up, even if it's like during an argument, you decide to like, okay, we've done this before. We've had this argument before. How can I shift this? And you decide to shift it. You watch everything else shift after that. Because it was, it's like a domino effect. Like one thing will lead to another, lead to another, lead to another. And and then all of a sudden you're left in a different space. And maybe it won't shift completely, but at least you've had an opportunity to move it from where it was stuck to just a little over here. And sometimes that makes a huge difference. Yeah, everything. It makes a difference. Even what you're saying about just engaging in a conversation that is uncomfortable for you or an edge for you and being social in a way or whatever the edge is. for, Or even bringing up like neither Shannon, Shannon and I are both Libras. We're not that invested in our horoscopes, but we tend to be (laughs) non-confrontational. I do live in LA. I may have a crystal somewhere. I don't know. Um, But we're both non-confrontational. And so it's been a practice with both, both of ours lately to be like telling people what we actually really need from them and what we're not willing to tolerate. And I've got a, pocket full of fuck yous that I'm willing to spend these days. So like, I'm ready to go, <laughs> but um, it, it's uncomfortable and it's not a, not a pocket full of fuck yous really, but like a pocket full of like, Hey, I'm not tolerating this kind of behavior from you anymore. Or I'm disappointed that you did this instead of just keeping it locked inside, actually being willing to have the conversation. And then again, acknowledging myself, this is, I think, such a huge part of what people don't do. They do this work, but then they don't acknowledge themselves for doing the work. And I feel like if you don't actually recognize that you are, in fact, doing the work, that you did make a change, that you did something a little bit different, then it doesn't register properly. You've got to let it sit in your heart and just like hold on to it for just a second, breathe it in, breathe it out, but at least feel it. Because when you make the list of the things that you did that day, well, you can make a list of whatever but what did you do and how did that thing make you feel? That's so important. I tell my brothers, I have the three nieces now. And I was like, guys, I'm not a parent. And I'm not trying to tell you how to parent because I don't know shit about kids. But if I was there and I was spending more time with my nieces and they all live in Canada, so I, I don't see them that often. But I would ask them the question of like, hey, what did you do today? Like, what was really fun for you to do today? Or what did you like? And how did it make you feel? Like, did you do really good on that test? Great. How did it make you feel? I felt really happy. I felt good. Like normalizing, acknowledging your accomplishments is huge. I guess I should say the humility thing that I was talking about earlier. I think humility is a bullshit concept. And the reason I think of it that way is I think 
possibly that the um this is a big conversation but if you believe that you're a piece of the universe or a child of god or or whatever any of those kinds of cosmic things or not that you have this creative power and you have this creative energy then you are harnessing the power of the universe you're harnessing the power of god through your hands you're experiencing or that maybe you're a piece of god experiencing itself on this plane i don't care but you have to acknowledge that you actually are a creative force that you have these powers and by not acknowledging your own power and your own talent and your own abilities or shrugging them off thinking oh that's not a big deal or whatever and not giving yourself those dues and not being able to accept those compliments you're not you're doing a disservice to the power that gave that power to you because humility is not like i'm not telling you to go out and be an asshole i'm telling you to own your shit to be real about who you are in this world and what a difference you make through whatever it is that you do or however it is you create and to really acknowledge those things is how you build self-worth and you know the opposite of humility is is what is the word um oh you mean like you mean like arrogance yeah arrogance thank you but arrogance is really just insecurity in disguise if you're secure in your gifts you don't have to say things about them all the time you don't have to tell people all the time I always say that people who use the word mansion don't have one, just like people who use the word classy usually are not. I'm so classy. Okay. <laughs> if you have to tell people something that you are, you're not. Well, to allow ourselves healthy pride, like a healthy sense of yeah. pride and, and being proud of ourselves, like that's so shamed out of us by words like arrogance or selfishness. Well, or and even the seven whatever, deadly like sins, being, like pride is one of them. You know, I yeah, think true. why wouldn't we be proud of who we are and who we've, who we've become and how far we've gone? I don't, I don't get that. I feel like Kanye did a large uh, rant in his, I just watched his new documentary. Wow, series, you must have a lot really of patience. Quite fascinating. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was quite interesting the first two episodes, but you know, just saying that, that when you do recognize yourself as a child of God or as whatever it might be, the construct or the thought process or the belief, you know, I think of um, Marianne Williamson's line where it's like, who are you not? Yes. Who are you not to be so proud, so giant, so big? Fabulous, you know, beautiful. Yeah. You're a child of God. Like this is, this is what you're here to do, to shine, to be big, you know, and, and to do that in love, but to do it not in this idea that you're being saved or you need to be on a train track or in a tower or, or you need to be a knight that mm-hmm. part of it is being in, because ba- boundaries aren't celebrated in Disney or fairy tales, you know, or even... No, not at all. No. Please kiss the sleeping woman. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? There's uh, all kinds of wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. There's something about this idea of if you... I agree with Bo on the humility piece. You don't. I don't think you need to be boastful, but there's something about just acknowledging for yourself, like, wow, this is what I've accomplished. Like, I should feel really proud. But I think the reason why a lot of people struggle with that, and even I do, is because I think we're taught that it's self-serving and therefore selfish. And then we don't learn self-love. Like to actually be proud of what you do is self-love. That's really sitting with yourself and being like, hey, you, like obviously to yourself, <laughs> like you did this really great thing today. But, you know, I was sort of raised in this family where it was like, don't boast about things, which again, I think is good teaching. I was raised Catholic. So again, like pride is one of those, you know, sins you have to be aware of. Don't be too proud, all of that. And so I, I think I struggled a lot growing up with feeling unworthy because I wasn't also 
taught how to celebrate my own accomplishments. So it becomes this pattern. And then I ended up choosing someone who, instead of celebrating these things I'd achieved, when something great would happen, I'd be like, well, that's great, but don't let it go to your head. So instead of being able to sit in this feeling of like, and having someone say like, I'm so proud of you and you should be proud of you. It was like, yeah, good, but don't, don't get too big an ego about it. I think there's a balance, but if you can't celebrate yourself, you can't love yourself. And if you can't love yourself, you are not going to be good at loving someone else. I think the greatest acceptance speech ever in the history of the world was given by Snoop Dogg when he got up and said, I'd like to thank me for all of the hard work that I did. And I'd like to thank me for like all, and he thanked himself like over and over again, all the stuff that he did. I, I'd like to thank me for getting up early and doing all the shit that I needed to do. I'd like to thank me for getting like, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. You did that. You did that shit. Like own that shit. Maybe that should be the title of our new book. Own that shit. Yeah. Own that shit. I like that. Well, this has been beautiful, enlightening, fun, definitely fun. And I want uh, people to know where can they go find more of both of you? Where can they get the book and all that jazz? The book is available on Amazon. It's at so Barnes and Noble too. Yeah. If you're in Canada, it's at Indigo. <laughs> and you can follow us at at Cinderella, you bitch. I am at B-E-A-U underscore N-E-L-S-O-N. There's not a lot of like transformational stuff on that particular account, but if you like pretty things, then maybe there's something for you there. But occasionally I do bust out something and it is kind of funny. <laughs> I could see that. And I'm just at, um, on Instagram at Shannon underscore Hess, H-E-T-H. Perfect. Well, I appreciate you both for taking the time and for writing this book, for translating our experience into both humorous, because I think what you both bring to this, and this was my experience of the first time we ever spoke, is you bring a lot of levity to it. And I think levity and, and just laughter and humor and directness are essential yeah. for transformation to call us forward. So really appreciate you both. Well, you. well, and thank you for your contributions to the book as well. I mean, this all happened as because you, you know, had the graciousness to sit down with us in the first place. And it's been so nice to have you as a part of our journey. So thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for including me. I am definitely honored and fuck humility. I'm proud that I got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.